Well, Rhino, that did not end the way I expected it to when this season started. Heck, it didn't end the way I expected the season to go on September 1st. Uh, but it's over nonetheless. And what else is over? The tenure of Joe Madden. Uh, shocking news. We're going to talk about that and, and much more. What are you excited to talk about this show? Well, certainly it's always great to check in with our buddy Mark Silverman from ESPN Radio 1000. He's going to give us an overview of the 2019 season. And yeah, Chad, it always seemed like it was just automatic for the Cubs to get into the playoffs, at least since 2015. I'm kind of surprised that we're not talking October baseball at this point when it comes to the Chicago Cubs. Yeah, you know, we're going to talk about Ben Zobra's legacy. We're not sure what, if anything, if he's going to come back or if he's gone, but we're going to talk about his legacy. We're going to talk about the fans uh, clamoring to bring Nick back. Uh, so much to talk about on such a jam-packed show. So stick around. The Friendly Confine starts right now. First inning now, Chad, and of course, the Joe Madden era is officially over in Chicago. Five seasons, one very important championship, uh, two division titles, and uh, Joe Madden is no longer, unfortunately, the manager of the Chicago Cubs. Um, it's bittersweet. I mean, I personally have yes. been saying all this time that I didn't think it was right to get rid of him. I feel like he should still be the manager of the Cubs. But because of the way that Major League Baseball has now presented how the importance of managers has been taken off of so much less of an importance as it compares to the front office basically dictating what is going on, I understand the move. Managers aren't making $6 million a year. But I will never forget what Joe Madden did for this franchise. He will be a king for the rest of his life, an absolute legend, and in my opinion, is on the Mount Rushmore of Chicago head coaches and managers when it comes to any sport in the city of Chicago. Yeah, we're going to get into his legacy in the second second inning, but you know this this didn't come to a, to a, as a shock to me. Um, a lot of casual fans, I think they were blindsided by this. Other fans, uh, you, you were one that has been saying all along they should have resigned him. I, I thought this was actually a clean decision. Um, he wasn't fired, guys. He wasn't let go. He didn't quit. It was a five-year agreement, and they chose not to continue on. And so a couple things to put into perspective. You know, he was the highest paid. Him and uh, Bruce Bochy were the highest paid managers in, in baseball at $6 million. Um, there's a really good chance that the next manager you see, not like they're looking to pinch pennies, but they don't need a legend to be in the, in the clubhouse. They need a guy that can connect with the players, help with motivation, uh, setting the right context on a day-in and day-out basis. I think you would agree with me that, that we haven't seen that, that level of urgency and that little level of fire and passion since 15 and 16. And so I think this is, you know, it's, it's, it's a good parting. Um, it seemed amicable in, in the way they've communicated. We're going to find out uh, going on. I wasn't so surprised by it. I'm sad to see him go because as you said, um, it is uh, quite a legacy that he left behind. So let's dig into that on the second inning. When you talk about the Mount Rushmore, Ryan, you know, what do you think will be his legacy when people look back decades from now on the Joe Madden five-year era? Well, the, the legacy will be the 2016 World Series championship and how he was the manager that was at the helm of this team when they broke the 108-year curse of not winning a World Series title. I mean, Joe Madden is obviously going to, I have said from the start, ha should have a statue of him one day outside yeah. of Wrigley Field with Harry Carey, with Ron Santo, with Ernie Banks, with Billy Williams. All of those players, Joe Madden, as far as I'm concerned, is right up there. Um, he should have his number retired, as far as I'm concerned, too, one day. They should retire number 70 when <laughs> I he like comes it. back. Absolutely, they should. Um, you know, and, and, you know, I know you talked about last time where you said that this was a mutual parting of ways, but I still think Joe Madden wanted to manage the Cubs. I still think he wanted to be there. And, you know, you can say, well, he wasn't fired. It was, the agreement was over, but... At the end of the day, when your contract is not renewed, that means your employer does not want you anymore. And with that being said, he, you know, kind of wishes he was still there. But Joe Madden is not going to be, um, you know, lost for any opportunities. He, yeah. He's certainly going to have his pick. I mean, he is basically going to be the most wanted manager out there. And I, I have said this before, and I'll say it again, I, I'm I will still state that he is going to be the manager of the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim when it is all said and done and return to the team that he started his uh, coaching career with. 
Yeah, it, and and uh, it's going to be interesting to see where he lands. I I you know there are some really interesting opportunities. You know whether it's San Francisco, whether it's Los Angeles, whether it's it's Pittsburgh is kind of a dark horse or other places. You know it'll be interesting to see where he goes from a from a legacy standpoint. I mean, this is a guy that in a very short period of time in in uh, in in five years. He uh, had 471 wins, 18 playoff uh, wins, four consecutive playoff bursts, one pennant in that one very famous World Series. So this was a guy that took this team to three straight NLCSs. That 15 was such a magical year where he just he said, no, guys, we're, we're supposed to wait a couple years here before our windows open and nobody believes in us. So let's let's shock the world. And then my favorite thing that I, I carry on every day is when he showed up in spring training in 2016 with that message of just every day, everybody, the weight of expectations, you know, they, everybody has you winning the world series this year before 16 even started. And he said, guys, every day, I just want you to try and not to suck. I mean, that was what he brought. He was that funkiness that he brought to the table. And I have to say, I feel like we haven't felt that seen that noticed that, and it sure hasn't shown on the play of their players um, you know, there was never discussion in the last two years about Joe Madden being the, the manager of the year. Um, and so I, I think it's the right time for a little bit of freshness. And I think it's the right time. If you think about what has frustrated people all the way to game seven of 2016, so many people were frustrated by Joe's in-game management, how he managed the pitching staff, how the, the rotations and the rosters were never consistent. And, and whether or not that had an effect on the, on the performance of the team in the, in the following years, I don't know. But it is going to be interesting to see if they bring somebody in who's going to be more analytically minded, more consistent, more conservative, and more more of the the approach that that uh, I think fans would be happier about. Um, I wish Joe well. He is a true legend, and you're absolutely right. Absolutely, Mount Rushmore of Chicago sports. Yeah, without a doubt. So with that in the third inning, let's talk about who we think might be the next manager of the Chicago Cubs. Um, the three, I guess, candidates that everyone is kind of talking about the most one being former catcher David Ross and now ESPN broadcaster, one who's already in the Cubs dugout, that being bench coach Mark Loretta. And the third is uh, minor league coordinator, I believe is his title, Kevin Euclid, who also uh, played for the Boston Red Sox. And he has the relationship with Theo Epstein from his time in Boston. So those are basically, I think, going to be the three guys that you're going to hear the most about. It's not going to be Joe Girardi. We're not going to get Bruce Bochy. There's not going to be Dusty Baker. It's not going to be big names of any sort like that. I think that's who we're really looking at. And honestly, Chad, to me, it really doesn't matter who the manager is. I mean, I've said this before. Mm. I don't care who one of those three guys are because their input is going to be based upon what the front office tells them. So it really doesn't matter who the manager is as long as they jive with what Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer are interested in. I mean, I guess if you want to like get the fans excited, I suppose David Ross is the guy because he's yeah. the one that's going to get the fans the most excited because of just what he meant to that world series team and the relationships he has. Mark Loretta is not going to get everybody all like stirred up and excited. Neither is Kevin Euclid, but at the end of the day, all three of them are going to provide the same thing because they're all going to have to basically obey what is being given to them by the front office. And, yeah. if, they, and if any of them buy into the, to what the front office is telling them, whoever's going to get along with them the most, that is going to be who the manager is. Yeah. I mean, I, I think it's a little bit more than a figurehead and just pushing buttons and, and pulling knobs at the front office. I just think there's more consistency needs to be, to be had. I, that's a front office that has invested a great deal in a lot of very smart guys in very dark rooms. And they're not, you know, if Joe's not utilizing that two other really interesting names that have been, have come out uh, that, that may shock you. I want to throw it out on the podcast. Carlos Beltran has come out. He, he was actually interviewed uh, by the Yankees before Aaron Boone was hired. Um, right. And now he's, he's, uh, he's, he's in, um, in the office of, uh, I think, with, with Brian Cashman with the, the Yankees. And then also Raul Abanez, which is really interesting as well. He, he had a chance to be a hitting coach uh, um, and is also uh, doing some special, uh, special work uh, on the side. So th there's a lot of interesting names. It will not surprise me at all if the Cubs go, go in a completely different route. However, what I shared last week when we were just talking about the potential future of Joe Madden is I feel like because this year was such a 
colossal disappointment. Last year was such a colossal disappointment by every measure that the Cubs need to make a splash on the managerial front that, believe it or not, are going to draw eyeballs to their press conference on their marquee network and are going to actually get people buying tickets and get people excited about spring training and excited about uh, buying tickets in March and April um, at Wrigley Field. As silly as that sounds, the manager is also going to be a business decision. So whereas a no-name would not fulfill that need, um, you know, the names that I think that really spring to mind, and I've been saying this for months, I shared this last week, I think it, 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 David Ross is, is going to be one of the most interesting picks. He'll get people thinking and excited about 2015 and 16 and beyond, and, uh, and he's the guy that's going to sell tickets. So as weird as that sounds – they, you know, they're going to need a guy that's going to every every hour um, of of press conference, you know, during the marquee network next next season is going to be must see TV with the right manager. And so we're not going to get a Mike Schultz sort of guy, um, in my opinion. So I think it's going to be David Ross. Yeah, well, that that, again, is going to get the fans, the, I think, the most excited out of out of those three candidates. So let's move on to the fourth inning and a guy who certainly provided plenty of excitement in his time with the Chicago Cubs. Of course, uh, the World Series MVP. Ben Zobrist, who uh, is going to be a free agent at the end of this year. Um, not sure if the Cubs would bring him back or if he is going to retire or just move on to another team. Um, but with that being said, Chad, um, I think it's pretty obvious what Ben Zobrist's legacy is when he is uh, thought about with the Chicago Cubs. I mean, a guy who obviously won the World Series MVP and is the only person uh, in 108 years that will you know, go down as the MVP of the World Series for the Chicago Cubs. So uh, certainly a beloved figure. I'm not going to go and say his number needs to be retired or there's going to be a statue <laughs> of Ben Zobrist by right. any stretch, but certainly he was a fan favorite guy who came to play every day, could play a multitude of positions, um, was just clutch every step of the way, provided some great leadership. And uh, certainly a guy, if he does move on, is going to be missed in the clubhouse. Yeah, he sure is. And, and, and you're right. You know, he may come back in a perfect world. And I would really like this, you know, a team friendly deal where he would come back and, and continue to, to play a utility role. Uh, um, he showed towards the end of the year that he actually could have done that this year was such a weird send off and such an awkward send off. And the fact that he was gone for three months of it with the personal issues with his family. And we're not going to really dig into that. I would just say from a, from a legacy standpoint, he was much like to me when John Lester came in. When, when Ben came in, it was a situation where this is how we're going to do Cubs now. This is the workmanlike approach. This is the, the ability uh, to, to, to play whenever, wherever, and not be so tied to one position, um, be able to bounce around the field without any question. And, you know, when it mattered uh, most, you know, Ben was the guy that was up at the plate and, and, and they had a little bit of a shift on and he saw something, was thinking away. And, and was able to hit that double down the line. And one of the most famous hits we're ever going to see, it's going to be the highlight that is going to be played more than any other highlight in Cubs history until the next big uh, event. So Ben Zobrist, uh, whether he comes back or not, he's always going to have a place in Cubs lore. And, uh, and for a time, he was, he was just that. He was, he was, he was the Cub that, uh, that just really exemplified to me um, the workmanlike attitude of, of what needed to be done and what got done in 2016. All right, let's move on to the fifth inning now. And another big-name free agent among the others is Nick Castellanos, who only in 51 games hit 321 with 16 home runs, 36 RBIs, 21 doubles. I mean, my God, his, his stats for the entire year, he had 289 with 27 home runs and 73 RBIs. Let's put it this way, Chad, 58 doubles, might I add. In, mm -hmm. in 100 games with Detroit, he had 11 home runs. In 51 games with the Cubs, he had 16 home runs. Yeah. Um, I don't know if the Cubs can afford to bring him back. I hope they can um, because this guy is just absolute money. I would love to see him in a Cubs uniform. His attitude is just so impressive. This guy just loves playing for the Cubs and is just – he was so heartbroken when the Cubs had the collapse that they did. Yeah. I don't think anybody had more of a like a broken heart than him on that team as far as I'm concerned. Um, he, he is incredible, and I, I, I know he's going to cost a lot. But I would love to just see – I hope the Cubs can find a way to bring Nick Castellanos back because, man, was he fun to watch this year. ton of fun to watch. And he made a comment afterwards uh, after the season was over. He said it just, it just shows that um, I'm a better player when the stakes are higher. And so what the interesting thing about that is it, it may limit his free agency opportunities. So anybody that's a bottom dweller and is not 
ready to be a, a star. I mean, I, I wouldn't go after him because he's shown that he's just not that good when the stakes aren't that high. Um, kind of tongue in cheek there, but kind of true as well. I mean, he wants to play for a competitor. He wants to play for a winner. I don't see it, Ryan, as we're currently uh, constructed. If, if for, for, for me to see where the Cubs could bring him back, where he fits in the roster, think depth chart, think lineup, think where he fits. You have to imagine that Hayward is going to be here. Hayward is going to be here and he's an all-star right fielder. He's not the solution at center field. Okay. So in the outfield, you can't put Nick in center field. So where does he go? He would have to go in left field or you'd have to move some things around and maybe make Hayward a left fielder. Um, I just don't see him as the, the day-to-day uh, center fielder, uh, Jason Hayward. So that would mean Kyle Schwerber would have to go away. So if they do make a play, and we've talked about this before, my prediction is Baez, Bryant, uh, 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 Schwerber, um, and uh, if you just look at those three mar- marquee players, um, one of those guys I think is going to be gone in this offseason in some sort of trade to kind of restock and refill. Uh, Addison Russell, I think we've seen the last of him. Um, Al Moore, I think we gave him, a, uh, the Cubs gave him enough of a chance to, to prove that he, he's probably not going to be your, your guy in center field day to day. So for Nick to come back, others would have to go away. And, and I just see him as, as uh, for a team that, that has a great need in, in, in right field. And if he's a long-term solution, he's more of a DH profile because his, his defense is not going to necessarily get better. Um, and you know, watching down the draft, as great as he was offensively, there were a lot of balls that Hayward gets to in right field that Nick did not. But what a great asset to this team. What great fire. If we had the energy fire spunk that, that Nick had all this year for the rest of the team, I think it would have been a much different ball team. Sixth inning now, and let's move on to the front office because certainly this is obviously just as important as the managerial search. But I don't think there's been a lot of attention drawn to this because they still do have two years left on their contract. But Jed Hoyer, Theo Epstein, they're a package deal. Both of them have contracts through 2021. There were some rumblings that Theo, after Dave Dombrowski got fired from the Boston Red Sox, that Theo was going to potentially even go back to the Boston Red Sox. Well, that that is not is not seem to be the case. Um, yeah. However, Theo Epstein has always stated that he feels like that 10 years is always kind of the amount of time that anybody should stay in any position that after 10 years, your, your messaging kind of what you're looking to do starts to grow stale and you need kind of a new person and some new set of eyes to look at what could potentially be better for a franchise. And that would basically add up to the fact that Theo and Jed, you know, could potentially be gone by 2021. Um, Do you, do you, are you okay with that line of thinking? I know we would love to see Theo and Jed here probably, for the rest of their lives and the rest of their careers. But, you know, there's a very real possibility, Chad, that this could be the final two seasons of Theo Epstein and Jed Hoyer together. Maybe Jed gets a position like what Theo has now, and Theo decides to, you know, go to another franchise or just retire altogether. We don't know. Um, that, to me, is a little bit of a scary prospect because certainly if they leave, they are the ones that created such an amazing blueprint And I think in Theo and Jed, everyone has been trustworthy of what is going on with this franchise. And without them in a couple of years to see things through, I have a little bit of a problem with that. And I'd be a little concerned if this Cubs team is not where they should be or where we would want them to be. And Theo leaves, that's going to leave this franchise basically, you know, just kind of running in circles and wondering what's the next step for whoever takes over for the two of them. Yeah, I'm not I'm not so concerned about two years from now. And if 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 Theo and Jed in the front office, if it completely shifts and they go in a different direction, I'm not concerned. I mean, this window is open now and, and the core of this group of players is here now. And the 2022, you know, uh, that is that is going to be a different group of players, a different different lineup. You know, what I will share about this front office is is this and it's it's not kind. They they failed miserably. Um, when you think about what the Cubs needed this year, yeah, they got Kimbrell at the trade deadline, but they went into this season without uh, a, a reliable bullpen. They hoped and prayed on Brandon Morrow. 
Um, they did not give the team the tools they need. I mean, 30, uh, 35 plus blown saves this year. That shows you that, if, you know, just converted 10 more of those. This team runs away with the division. So leading the league in, in, in those blown saves is, 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 is that it goes, that's a reflection of the free agent uh, market and how the front office dealt with that. Um, the fact that this team has not had a leadoff, we talked about this last week, has not had a leadoff uh, hitter um, since Dexter Fowler uh, departed. Um, the inconsistencies of not having a leadoff has really put a put a huge uh, curveball into the the lineup and, and hampered what Joe could and couldn't do. I think the the spotlight right now is is going to be on Jed, is going to be on Theo, and you're right, they've got two years left. And if there's another year like this, people are worried. This is so amazing. People online are so worried that this team is all of a sudden going to scrap this, scrap it, and go into a rebuild and move over. The core group of players that actually outscored most of the teams in baseball is still here. This team needs to be improved, needs to move some people out and move some other people in like we saw. That rests on the free agent market. I don't know if they make their 10th year if, if they have another crash and burn, if they, they, they really fail to, uh, to build up uh, the, the weapons that this team needs to be, to be successful. So I think 10 years is exactly right enough time. I think this front office has done an amazing job in the last eight years. Cumulatively, if you look at what they've been able to do, all those uh, NLCSs and the, the World Series title, what they need to do going forward is going to show what their legacy is going to be remembered by. Because if you have a title in the middle and nothing on the front and the back except for losing, that is not going to be a legacy that's going to be looked too kindly. It's time now for the seventh inning stretch, and we are joined by a friend of the Friendly Confines, Mark Silverman from ESPN 1000, uh, the afternoon show, the Waddle and Sylvie show. Mark, welcome to the Friendly Confines. Chad, great to talk to you. My most positive Cubs fan out of all my friends, but even you can't be all that positive today. This was this was a train wreck. I know you disagreed with me, but I, I told you this was this last year and this year combined feels like what it must have felt like in 1969. I just I've never seen a collapse on the scale of nine straight to go from in the hunt to maybe picking in the first round. You had to have been blown away by this. Blown away, yes, yeah. Um, and when you put both together, I thought I thought that was pretty good. And I I, I threw out your question too or your statement about 1969 to the show. And some people agreed, like Michael Wilbon agreed with you too, Chad. Oh, nice. um, the, the, the one thing that the reason why, like I, I wasn't, maybe it was at times what made me more mad, but by at the end, why the nine game losing streak didn't make me so mad is just because I felt like they just played like a mediocre baseball team. Yeah from middle of May all the way through the uh, middle of September. And then at the end, they just punched you. And, and my philosophy was, if you were expecting that they would just eventually go on a run, a nine-game win streak, as opposed to a nine-game losing streak, uh, my whole thing was they never gave us really any reason to believe that. Every time they would go through a good span, first those good homestands and then bad road trips, so then – you know, a couple of good series here and then a couple of bad series there. Um, they, they just would always correct itself. Even on the bad stuff, they would go and they'd lose six, five in a row. And you'd be like, oh, boy. But then they'd go, come home, and then they'd win seven in a row. And But, but all in all, since May, it always evened out yeah. to about a 500 baseball team. And that's why, for me, the the collapse of the nine game skid at the end didn't crush me like I thought it was going to crush me. Yeah, it's interesting because if if we look back, the team was trying to tell us in the beginning when they started two and seven. So I mean, there's this inconsistency and 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 not this killer instinct. You've looked at this. I mean, we could look at the injuries that could be a key. We could look at the front office decisions. We could look at the ineffectiveness of the bullpen. When you look at this team, why? Were they the way they were? Why were they so inconsistent? Why could they not insert their will? The one thing that I talked about, Chad, like from the beginning, was that whenever something would be going well, another part of the team would be going bad. And it just, they took turns all year. And sometimes, like you said, you feel like it's just bad luck. But they just sort of proved to you that we're good enough to go on stretches 
where this part of the team can be good, but we're not good enough to play good, consistent baseball all year, whether it's defensively, whether it's the starting rotation. I always believed the starting rotation was going to be the, the, the strong point of this team, even with the age. And if I would have told you before the season that you Darvish would have had the second half that he had, we're all, we're all probably on board. I love yeah. Kyle Hendricks. I love John Lester. Um, I, I, I always felt like Q was sort of just flirting with us and he had that good middle stretch in the season. But at the end of the day, he's been basically what his final stats been. That's like a four something ERA guy with the Cubs, but the starting staff would be good. The bullpen would be bad. The starting staff would go through a slump. And then the next thing, you know, Kinsler would be dominant. And then you would find Rowan Wick and you'd be like, okay, well, that's a good thing. And then all of a sudden the bullpen's going well. And then Pedro Strope, the guy that you could count on for so long was bad. And then Kimbrell, who they got, never was able to get right. And then Kinsler would go down and C-Shack, who then you would count on would would go down and same thing with the starting lineup every time you thought a guy was getting right someone else would go bad and I think the big theme for me Chad is the overwhelming talent part of this team which always drove me crazy for the last three years was the lack of a leadoff hitter that no matter what they did that no matter where they turned to that the Joe tried everything and I get it a lot of people got frustrated with Joe's lineup, he would make a lot of people frustrated, but I always thought it was uh, you were penalizing the manager when the manager himself didn't know who to fill out at number one. When you don't have a leadoff hitter, the rest of the lineup, it's, it's harder to fall in place. So I like, that's why it always drove me crazy. that people were going after Joe so hard. I felt like the front office has not done a good job since the end of 2016 of replacing Dexter Fowler. We all got lucky that Dexter Fowler decided to sign back in that surprise move in the beginning of 2016. But since then, they thought they could just patchwork guys, just get on base. They could put Schwarber there. They could put other guys there. And no one ever worked. And I thought, to me, when you don't have a leadoff guy to make them go, that lineup has always sort of, been an inconsistent group where they could score one day and not the other. That was a long rant, but it basically just sums up kind of that nothing ever went right for this team all, all, all these months. More and more, I'm kind of latching onto that thinking of what has been the di- difference? Where have we struggled? And that Dexter Fowler, uh, that piece of the puzzle that we've not had since 16 sure has shown through. So let's talk about the big news. And it is obviously, it was the, the topic as well uh, of uh, Theo's uh, presser. Um, talking about Joe Madden's departure, were you surprised? No, no. I mean, it's funny because I get we always have gotten this Chad through the years of doing about our radio show. Is you know when we would find out that there was trouble in paradise between Tom Thibodeau and John Paxson and Gar Foreman, people would be like, "Oh yeah, you guys are doing this for your media, sh- for because you're in the media, because for yeah. your radio show to boost ratings." Same thing happened with Cutler and Brandon Marshall. You know, I would have Jay one week during the Jay Cutler show, take off his headset during a commercial break and curse out Marshall. And then the next week, uh, Marshall would be there and he would curse out Cutler. <laughs> and and we would tell people, in no, you know, we couldn't tell them that, but we would say, look, the, the relationships aren't good. There's, there's, there's some drama going on behind the scenes. And people would always say, guys, you're doing this for ratings. You're doing this for quote clicks. It's fake news. That's the big key phrase. And I would always assure people that I'm a Chicago sports fan first, and we're never going to not be ourselves for the sake of ratings. So whether it was Tibbs in the Bulls front office, whether it was Cutler and Marshall, or in this case, whether it was Madden in the front office, I'd gotten word through my sources and people who know people that this thing has been going on for a long time, that they just didn't love the way he managed the team anymore, the fit that he had. And um, Joe would drive me crazy at times. I remember the big, the most, the worst that I ever felt was when he put John Lackey into a game in the ninth inning against the Dodgers um, in that NLCS in 26, in 2017. And when, when Lackey's always, Lackey never came out of the bullpen, Lackeys, whenever he would start when in that last year with the Cubs, 
his worst inning would always be that first inning. And I thought, why in the world would Joe ever bring in in relief? So on and on, I, I've questioned him, but I always felt then it, it went past a point that I wasn't comfortable with, where I felt like Joe was the scapegoat. Joe was the easy target. And again, I brought up the point with you about not having a leadoff guy. I mean, Joe Madden won so many baseball games for our Cubs from 15 through 19, four postseasons, two NLCSs, uh, three NLCSs, three. And, yeah. and, and, and the World Series. I mean, it's incredible. And again, it was a collaborative effort of success, and it's certainly a collaborative effort for the failure. And I feel like the reason why the Cubs are where they are are more on the players and more on the front office than Joe Madden. And I, I feel sadness, Chad. And that's the thing that, you know, I always remember that press conference and how excited I was when they held it at the cubby bear that, Oh my gosh, we got Joe Madden. And, and I, and I, you'll never change my mind because I always believe the Cubs never would have won in 2015 if they would have had Ricky Renneria as manager, that Joe was a huge part of that. And I feel sadness that it's just gone four short years later. It's it's interesting in the the Theo press conference, he said that Joe was the right man at the right time in 2015. And and he alluded to the, the, his belief that he is not quite the right man for the group of players in the clubhouse. Now, who do you think, what sort of player you can, you can make guesses on who you think it's going to be, but what is needed in the, in, in, in the managerial position and, and who do you think is, is going to be the guy? Yeah. I, you know, I always hear that, you know, in, in Theo's theme of the press conference that he used was that he wanted, you know, sort of the clubhouse to police, police, police itself to have a culture set by the manager where they won't accept somebody making base running mistakes or someone making errors or, or that sort of, and, and, and I get it. It's just the way of sports where you have a guy who's a player friendly manager. You're going to want someone who's buttoned up in the mold of Joe Girardi. Now I don't believe it's going to be Girardi. I think they feel like, and it's the worst kept secret. Like David Ross could be that guy like he was in, 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 as a player, but I always, uh, the Chad, the only thing I'll caution you is, and I liked Jim Hendry a lot as manager. I felt this at the turn when things got really bad in 07 and 08 after those two years, in 09 and 10, where the front office was sort of chasing its tail and trying to have one last way to fix everything. And I always remember when they signed Milton Bradley and they always said, our clubhouse is too nice. We need a guy You know, and then and and obviously that wasn't the case. Milton Bradley was a bad dude. Milton Bradley turned out to not be good at baseball. But I'm just saying I'm just cautioning everybody um, to believe that things are just going to get right with the manager. And Theo said it himself. Theo said the way they rebuilt, it was the fastest and the best job maybe of any rebuild. But they have made a, a. a chain of bad moves and a domino effect and, you know, a snowball going downhill of one bad move that goes into a second bad move to correct that first bad move. And that's how Theo got in trouble in, in, in Boston. So I didn't really answer your question, but I'm just going to go with David Ross. Cause I feel like if he wants the job, it's going to be his job. Does Addison Russell return to this team? No, uh, uh-uh. no. And I feel like I thought, I don't know how you felt, Chad. I felt like a lot of people got on the Cubs because, oh, well, that the Cubs did the easy thing. And I felt like actually Theo did the hard thing. Like bringing back Addison Russell when he wasn't good anymore, I thought was the hard thing to do. It would have been easy to because people were like, oh, Theo says he wants to be a part of the solution. Well, is he really sure? I'm sure that's not the case. People would say, and I'm like, well, why don't you believe that? If it was somebody who is great at baseball and they wanted to keep him, you just say, well, that's the easy thing to do because he's great and he can help the team. Russell had already turned downward. Russell had already started getting bad with his throws. Russell wasn't hitting before all this. So I do believe that the easy way out would have just been to appease the fan base and get rid of them. I think they did try to be the solution, but I think Addison Russell not only um, proved that maybe he's not as good of a guy as we all thought when they acquired him from Oakland, but he's just not that good anymore. And I don't know why, I don't know what happened to him because I thought I fell for, he was going to be Barry Larkin, but I think 
that will probably be the easiest move to make this offseason. Yeah, that Grand Slam game six, I think that's going to be the oh. enduring image, and and uh, and uh, that is what might have been, but obviously with all the offseason. So I have been saying, time for a couple more questions, Mark, but uh, I've been saying all along in the last couple of weeks as we've kind of looked ahead kind of uh, early on, there is going to be somebody's jersey in your closet, some our, our fans' closet, that right. is suddenly not going to be a Cubs jersey anymore. Do you have any guesses? Who do you think is the most movable asset that could potentially restock this team? And they, so they're totally a guess. I mean, yep. Uh, but and you know what? I, I I'll do the easier names second, and I'm going of the core of the four or five, and I'm not including Schwarber in this because I do believe that there's a chance they do trade Schwarber stock high. I see Schwarber going two ways. Hey, stock high. Let's get let's get out right now when we can because he's too inconsistent, and and he'll appeal to somebody. But I also feel like. For a cost-controlled bat that can hit 40 home runs and with the DH hopefully coming in the NL, it may be smart to keep him now as well. So that's on Schwarber. I heard Theo today talk about Contreras, and he raved about Contreras. But I wonder with – and I'm not saying that Victor Caratini is totally the answer, but I don't mind Victor Caratini. And when you think about guys who can get you a haul, a young catcher, who's in the prime of his career um, may not be such a, uh, an idea that Theo would say no to just because he gets hurt a lot. And, um, and, and you just, you, you're unsure of him at times. Now, I don't know. That's the crazy one. I think the easier one to mention is Chris Bryant and Chris Bryant's still their best baseball player. I'm not ripping Chris Bryant. I'm just saying knowing that he's not 2016 Chris Bryant anymore, that what they can get for him and knowing how unsignable he may become, that you might want to look at that now. If you want to retool and you want to get, and this all goes before you yell at me, before you tweet at me, these are just two names who I feel they could get the most for. And I feel like what Rizzo did at the end of the year and he's, He's over 30 now. He's a first baseman. I don't believe you can get as much as you can for Rizzo as you can for those other guys. And I feel like Javi's a face of the franchise now. So I'm going to go with those two names. Am I crazy? No, I, I, I've got, I, I basically put those same, same people. I think uh, Wilson is one that I didn't really consider, but for you're right, from a Hall standpoint and from uh, most teams don't expect a tremendous amount of offense from their catcher. You know, there wouldn't be that much of a downside. but uh, And Caratini no, no. has shown in eliminated bats that he can get you some key hits. So I, I don't know. Maybe, like, I can see this going so many ways, Chad. I could see, like, some people have suggested maybe Contreras is your future left fielder. Maybe you're getting rid of Schwarber. Maybe you, you, you try to extend his health by placing him in left field like they did when he first got up to the bigs and the Cubs were carrying two other catchers. I don't know. So – I think it's going to go in, in so many different ways, but you asked me directly on that one, so I gave you those two. All right, we've got two years left on this, this, uh, this front office, and, and you've got to feel that their legacy, even though they did what they promised to do, I think there's many more expectations for a lot of people that, uh, that they would do more. Uh, you've got a couple years left with them. So what do you think this front office has to do? As a Cubs fan, what do you need them to do in this offseason to right this ship? It's a great question. I don't know if you can do it in one one swoop. I mean, you know, they've been close on so many great deals. I mean, the like think how if they would have traded for Verlander instead mm. of Quintana, how different that would have been. And for those who don't remember, you know, Verlander wanted to be here. The Cubs were kicking the tires. He wasn't having a good year uh, in Detroit, and um, you know, they went to Detroit and they made a different trade there. Then instead, they trade traded for Q because of the contract and you get rid of Aloy and cease that way. So I, I, I mean, I, I think just make the right moves. And the one thing that does scare me again is the free agency thing. And I want Castellanos back, but are you going to spend mega millions again on another guy who you're completely buying high, high, high on? Like he could not have been better for our Cubs. So I think stock is going to be so high. He's going to cost so much money. And like I told you at the beginning, Chad, I just feel like Theo's biggest problems has been spending. It's the moral move that led to the Kimbrel move. And that's hamstrung you and the front office 
side of things with money with Tom Ricketts. So um, I, I think you're going to have to make shrewd deals. I don't know if it comes through free agency. And I think they're going to have to start making those smart trades again to get things right. You know, my optimism, last question for you. What is this core group of players, whoever's left, whoever survives, whoever shows up in Mesa in February and March of 2020, how many more titles, how many more NLCSs? What do you think is the, the possibility of this team? Because there are a lot of people on Cubs Twitter, a lot of people in my Cubs Facebook page that are, that are pretty concerned that we're at the start of another rebuild, which I just can't see happening right now. What do you think is going to be the potential of this group, this front office, this core group of players? All right, so if you're manager? asking me, if you're asking me the question that will Jed and Theo, even if Theo leaves in two years and Jed stays to return, this like front office, if are they going to win another title or are they not going to win another title? And I'm at band- betting on it for however many years they have left. I would still vote yes that they're gonna they're gonna get another championship. They're too smart. They're too good. The Cubs still have too many good players. This is not a rebuild either. Um, they do have they do have to make some moves. They have to fortify the bullpen, the starting rotation. I don't know if they have an ace and, and, and what do they have at the back end right now with Quintana with one more year and, and everything. So, but I, to answer your question, yes, I'll drink the Kool-Aid with you and I'll say (laughs) they're going to win another championship along the way. I can't wait to to celebrate with you. Mark Silverman, ESPN 1000 co-host of the Waddle and Sylvie show, a uh, friend of the friendly confines. Thank you so much for joining us again, Mark. It's always a pleasure to get your insights and uh, and your unique perspective on everything Chicago. I always, I love the pod, love the, uh, uh, all the positivity and, and love your passion for the uh, Cubs chat. All the best. Love it, Sylvie. Thanks a lot. Our thanks to our friend, Mark Silverman from ESPN 1000 in Chicago. And of course you can catch Mark on the Waddle and Sylvie show two to six weekdays. Always great to catch up with Mark, who we've known for a very long time. He's been a friend of the show. He's been a friend of ours. And certainly it's always great when we can get some insight from him about the Cubs and the entire season. And so uh, thanks again for uh, everything with that. Yeah. And, you know, we were we were kind of holding off because because Mark is a friend of the show and has has offered to come back anytime. And we were we were we were, you know, I think we were both very surprised. We got new guests every single week. We were saving some of the bigger names. uh, that we've had before the repeat offenders, so to speak, uh, for the postseason, we didn't get there. Uh, but Ryan, I know we've got some other big names coming up here in the offseason. We're going to have a free agent episode. We're going to have a new manager episode when that happens. Uh, who other? Who are some of the other big names we're looking at? Yeah, well, we're still trying to connect with Dan Rowan from WGN TV. Certainly, he has been around for such a long time, and I'd love to get in with him about uh, WGN TV and the legacy that has been left with the Cubs. And now that WGN TV is no longer holding the Cubs games. They're going to be moving to the marquee network. So uh, certainly stay tuned for uh, lots of guests that we have coming up, not just for the off season, but of course next season as well. So, so with I've, that, let's move yeah. on. No, that. Ryan, before you do that, I was going to ask you, I was going to ask you, so I've always shared with you my dream guest. I mean, we got Joe Buck this year, which was just absolutely amazing. Um, my dream guest is, is, is always going to be Pat. I would love to have Pat and Ron, but I'd love to have Pat on here, Pat Hughes. Um, and, and just talk about uh, his role, his legacy as, uh, as the radio play-by-play guy, because that's how I consume most of Cubs sports and I have for many years. Who is, who is your main get? Who would you like to hear from? I mean, there's so many, but like Len Casper for me, obviously the other Cubs broadcaster would be a huge get. I'd love to get Len, um, you know, so it's just a matter of time to just get some of these guests. Uh, it wouldn't, I, w- I mean, I guess my dream, dream guest would be Ryan Sandberg. Uh, yeah. get a player that would certainly be right up there for yep. me. So, um, you know, which isn't out of the realm, I suppose, if we become big enough one day. But, um, you know, hopefully uh, one day that could be a, a, a dream come true. So we can, uh, you know, conti- continue to uh, shoot for the stars. Um, so with that, let's move to the eighth inning. And obviously the NL Central is a wrap. The Cardinals, uh, the division crown after defeating the Cubs on Sunday, nine to nothing. 
Cardinals, um, man, what a year. They uh, absolutely just shredded it in the second half of the year. Um, you know, I said it before. I, I still feel this way. I think Mike Schiltz will win manager of the year in the National League. Um, you know, with all due respect to Davey Martinez, who had an incredible year with the Washington Nationals. I just think what the Cardinals were able to do for a team that really didn't make any moves at the deadline um, and basically were three games over 500 and nowhere near first place. Um, they did an absolute 180 and turned it around. So uh, kudos to the Cardinals. You know, listen, they're, they're our biggest rivals. Uh, and, you know, we always like to joke with Cardinal fans and back and forth. But I really got to applaud what the Cardinals did this year and uh, how they were able to bounce back. And as well as the Milwaukee Brewers, um, a team that lost Christian Yelich, their best player, who could have potentially won the MVP award, still may win the MVP award in the National League. And they dominated. They absolutely dominated. They won when it counted. So, you know, kudos to them as well and Craig Council for being able to get into the postseason. They were they proved to be two better teams than what the Chicago Cubs were. So uh, hats off to those two teams. I disagree. Um, <laughs> I don't think they proved to be two better teams. And I'm going to give them some accolades in just a second. I think we saw in that nine game losing streak, just one of the most incredible collapses in 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 Cubs history, just, just amazing. And, and if, if, if that had not happened or if, if the team had, had uh, split that, you know, the Cubs would have been into this right into the last, that last weekend, I will do the same thing, not to repeat you, but just say, you know, the Cardinals stood pat at the all-star break, stood pat at the trade deadline. And they said, the guys we have here right now are the guys we have and are going to have, and they got some incredible pitching down the stretch and they, proved to be the strongest and the best and to win their first division since 2015 what the brewers have done and and their win, their win percentage in the last month and most of it without Kristen Yelich is just incredible they showed me again they've got great heart you know you, you sense a theme for me Ryan it's what i what i'm what i'm like to share is this cubs team it's been a long time since i've looked at them and said this team is having fun playing with heart, playing with fire, playing with desire. I saw that by the Cardinals. I saw that by the Brewers. And I think that was the difference maker. And that's why they're both advancing and the Cubs are not. Okay, let's uh, move on now as we go to the ninth inning. And the playoffs are here, Chad. Unfortunately, for the first time since 2015, it is not with the Cubs in it. So, therefore, we have the Braves, the Nationals, the Cardinals, the Brewers, and the Dodgers making it from the NL. And from the AL, we have the Yankees and the Twins, the Astros, and the Oakland A's and the Tampa Bay Rays. Man, what two just great small market teams and the A's and the Rays making it to the postseason. They'll be playing in the wild card game. And then, of course, the Brewers and the Nationals in their wild card game to start things off before we get to the uh, Braves and the Card, or excuse me, the, uh, the Dodgers and the Cardinals, right? In, the, in one series. Yep. No, 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 I'm sorry. The Dodgers will play the winners of the Brewers and the Nationals, and the Cardinals and the Braves play each other. Excuse me. I'm sorry. I'll get it right eventually. And then the Yankees uh, will face the Minnesota Twins, and the Houston Astros face the winner of the A's and the Rays. So, okay. So, as I botched that completely, um, Chad, when it's all said and done, how do you see this uh, playoffs playing out, and uh, who do you think is going to end up playing in the World Series this year? Well, it's, you know, a couple thoughts here. One, um, what the 2016 Cubs did and what every team has done since they've expanded to this expanded wild card format is, is amazing. To have to go through all of these different uh, uh, touch points, all these different uh, uh, series to get just to the World Series and then be healthy and on fire for the World Series is quite amazing. Back in the day, back when the Cubs blew it against the Padres, it was two teams in the National League. A best-of-five series. That team goes to a seven-game World Series. It's so different now. So when I look at that, I go, which of these teams are built for the long haul? Which of these teams are built um, for strength and, and, uh, and are ready to go? I feel like this has to be the year. Has to be the year that the Dodgers finally pull this out. They have a franchise record, 106 wins. So they're my pick for the National League. Um, the Nationals, I feel like, are my sneaky sleeper pick that could come through and surprise everybody because they've always had the arms and they've got, uh, you know, kind of that uh, 
with Harper being gone, how many times have you seen teams that have lost their best player and actually played better? That's pretty, I mean, it happened with the Knicks, with Patrick Ewing, having to, you know, it's, it's just one of those things where they could come in and surprise everywhere. So they're my dark horse. The Dodgers are my pick to go to the World Series from the National League and actually win it. On the uh, uh, ALCS side, I really like what the Twins are doing. I, I can see them um, getting through the Yankees, and then uh, I think that would be an amazing series with uh, uh, against the Oakland Athletics. So I've got Twins against the A's, L.A. versus Atlanta, and L.A. winning it. But if there was a dark horse team, I've got the Nationals shocking everybody. My goodness. Wow, going off the board. Um, for me – I, I can't bet against the Houston Astros. I mean, that team is just stacked from top to bottom. They have the best oh, yeah. in baseball. Um, I mean, my goodness, Justin Verlander, Garrett Cole, take your pick on who's going to win the Cy Young there. You got Zach Granke as their three guy. I, I mean, it's just, it is absolutely amazing. Their run differential this year, Chad, plus 280. I mean, it's like yep. unbelievable. Dodgers aren't too shabby either. They're at plus 273. Um, yep. I, I, I like your dark horse pick with the Nationals. I, I got no problem with that. Um, but I think at the end of the day, we're going to see a Dodgers-Astros World Series. And I think we're going to see the Astros uh, win the World Series once again. Um, and they are going to be holding up the trophy. They are just so good. I mean, 107 wins. And again, Dodgers won 106. But you know what? It's interesting, Chad. We This year, especially in baseball, we saw there, there was either really, really good. I mean, I don't think I've ever seen a year. I, I, don't, I, 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 I can't prove this, but I don't think I've ever seen a year where we've seen every single division winner um, in the American League win 100-plus uh, games. Um, and then in the National League, you know, the Dodgers had well over 100 wins. Yeah, I, but, you I can't know. imagine a year where we've seen that many wins from teams and then have that many bad teams losing over 100 games. I mean, we well, had, but we is had, it bad teams, Ryan, or is it is it really is it really just this new legacy of tanking? I think there's a lot of teams that have just thrown in the towel. So as as many bad teams you have uh, as good teams, you have over 100. I, you've got just as many bad teams. I think that yeah. equals it out. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, listen, you got the Royals and the Tigers and the Orioles and the Marlins, all that lost over well over 100 games. And, you know, that's not something we've normally seen in the past. But yes, I mean, they are all rebuilding and they are, you know, if you quote unquote tanking, if you will, to try and get a better draft picks, which I understand. But at the same time, I mean, we, we've seen two completely different, you know, ways of teams kind of playing right now. You're either all in or you're all out. And that's something that's been very different than what we've seen in the past when it comes to baseball. But, you know, it's a new age. It, it's certainly a, a new age with that being said. All right. Well, that is going to wrap it up for this edition of the Friendly Confines. Once again, our thanks to Mark Silverman from ESPN 1000. Of course, you can uh, catch him on Twitter at Waddle and Sylvie as well if you want to uh, hit him up. He's always a great follow. You can always so, also follow Chad at Cubs, Con, Cubs Confines. You can follow me at Ryan D. Lieber. We appreciate all the listens. We'll be back with you guys soon as the Cubs continue to make moves here in the offseason. It didn't go the way we wanted it to, but thanks, everybody, once again, for making us very successful and giving us the opportunity to come to you each and every week. And we will be back, hopefully, with you soon with a new episode updating you with the latest things going on with the Cubs. Have a good one, everybody, and take care. See you in spring training. See you in Mesa. Don't let anyone say that it's just a game. For I've seen other teams and it's never the same. When you're born in Chicago, you're blessed and you're healed. The first time you walk into rigor.